All right. Well, um, I, keep, I keep hearing this phrase that readers are leaders. Leaders are readers. You guys ever hear this, this phrase? I, I, think our, I think teachers probably all across America have some variation on that hanging on a poster on their wall. And, and I try to remind myself of that. I personally, I love to read, but sometimes I don't feel like it. Sometimes I'm not very excited about it. And I try to remind myself, you know, leaders are readers. And so uh, great, successful people amongst all, across all different kinds of disciplines uh, are characterized by a love uh, to read and a commitment to reading. And so that helps me to, to read even when I don't feel like it, and even when I don't really want to. And, and I try to read across multiple genres, and fiction and nonfiction, and Christian and non-Christian, and that challenges me to learn and grow and, and kind of stay sharp. And, and um, just as some inspiration for you, uh, a, a couple different leaders and successful people that, that are known by their reading. Mark Cuban uh, reads three hours a day. Pretty impressive. Uh, he's kind of a busy guy, probably has more going on than, than I do. Um, Bill Gates reads 50 books a year. That's a, that's a book a week, you know. I'm guessing those aren't picture books. I mean, those are books of substance. And, and uh, most impressive, uh, Warren Buffett, billionaire. Um, if, if there's a, a gazillionaire, he's probably that. And uh, he reads 500 pages a day. And you say, oh, yeah, well, he's like a billionaire and he's old, so of course he's got time. I wonder what he did when he was hustling and in first starting out. Well, good point. When he was hustling and first starting out, he read 800 to 1,000 pages a day. Um, 80% of his schedule at one time, 80% of his day was devoted to reading. You think, well, how, how is that even effective? I don't know. It worked for him. He's got more money than I do. So I'm going to say he probably, he's probably on to something. And so confession for me while I don't read 800 uh, pages a day, um, books uh, have, have sometimes been um, almost an idol for me, or they've been an idol for me, and there's been seasons and times that I've bought more books than I can possibly read, um, and Sandra's like, do you really need another book? And, and, and so what ends up happening is as I've, as I've accumulated books that I, that I, that I don't even, uh, you know, that, I, that I'm not going to read, even if I spent the rest of my life reading them, um, what's ended up happening is I'm surrounded by books that could be really helpful to me but they're just gathering dust and they're taking up space and they're not helping me because I'm not reading them. And Psalm 19 is going to give us two books that we can read every single day uh, and, and, and that point us to who God is. And, and uh, the first half of Psalm 19 is about creation, that we can read the book of creation every day and be pointed to God. Um, the second half of Psalm 19 is about the book of God's word, scripture, that we can read scripture every day and be directed to God's word. And so every day you literally live in a library and you can look around at creation and you say, well, you know, I'd, I'd enjoy creation if I, if I lived in like Colorado, but come on, we're in Sweetwater. Man, have you walked outside and seen a, a West Texas sunset? I mean, wow, it's just, it's, it's, it's what a reminder that God is big and God is vast. And, and that is a book that you can read during your windshield time, you can read in the morning time, you can read in the evening time, and you can look around at creation. I don't know if you ever do this, but you ever just like, maybe I'm weird, but like, you ever just like look like at your eye or your ear or like your nose, and you're like, man, that's a lot of hair, what do I do with all that? But you ever look at like, at your, and you're like, how does that work? Like, the human body is just so amazing, and, and that's part of the book that God's written that points you to him, that like, the stars, the sun, the moon, you know, your, your body, the, the world around you, these are all ways, it's part of this library, this book that God's given you uh, to point to him. Charles Spurgeon 
talks about Psalm 19 and it says that the first half talks about the world book, the, the creation. And the second half talks about the word book, scripture. Uh, David shifts gears in the middle of the, of the psalm and he, and he starts talking about God's word and how good it is and how important it is and how valuable it is and how it points us to God as well. And, and you have the opportunity, I have the opportunity to read God's word and to read God's world and to be pointed to him. But, but what ends up happening is we end up being surrounded by these books, but we don't read them. And they, they end up collecting dust, and, and, and they're not doing the work they do. It's, like, it's kind of like, imagine like you're in a, like a, a, a thriller movie, and you're, you're locked up in a library, oh, you know, and, you're, and you can't get out, and like, you starve to death because you can't, but all the while on the shelf, there was a book about how to pick a lock, you know, and like, all you had to do was read the book about how to pick a lock, and you could have gotten out, and, and I think so much of, of, of our problems that we face like, we're like, oh, I just don't know how to deal with this. But yet, God has given us the resources in his creation and in scripture so that we can attack the problems that we're confronted, but, but those books aren't doing us any good if they're just sitting on the shelf looking nice, but collecting up dust. So the first half of Psalm 19 is celebration of God's world. The second half of Psalm, 1, of Psalm 19 is the celebration of God's word. And, and, and Scripture's way of talking about the creation is, is general revelation. That's, that, that, that there's this general revelation that God has given all of us. Just as we look around and see his work, his work in the creation, we can say, man, somebody did a really good job here. And as we look to God's word, uh, a way the theologians talk about his word is special revelation. That's the special revelation that God has given his people, the Hebrews and now us. And so Psalm 19 celebrates both that general and that specific revelation. So I want to just walk through Psalm 19 with you. And we're going to talk a little bit about the importance of the Psalms and, 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 and we're going to talk about this concept of praying Scripture. And then we're going to practice it. We're going to practice together praying God's Word. Uh, Sandra reminded me this last week uh, that we remember, was it 20% of what we hear? Uh, I don't know if we, I can remember this because she just told me. So I remember 20% of it. But 20% of what we hear, I remember 100% of what Sonda tells me. Now, uh, 20% of what we hear, 30% of what we read, right? You can't look it up on your phone. That's cheating. Okay. 30% of what we see. 50% of what we hear and see. 70% of what we discuss. 80% of what we experience. And so it's possible to sit here week after week and like hear messages about prayer, but what we want to do today is we're going to actually practice it. And, and as we practice something actively, uh, it sticks with us a little more. So that's what we're going to do today. It may, may look a little different than normal. Um, so Psalm 19. C.S. Lewis, by the way, called this Psalm, Psalm 19 one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Okay, Psalm 19, 1. To the choir master. And if... Uh, you don't know the choir master. It's kind of, kind of like a ninja, so uh, don't mess with him. The choir master. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. This is an example of Hebrew parallelism. So you've got two statements that complement one another. The heavens declare God's glory, and the skies proclaim his handiwork. So right out of the gate, the psalmist is saying, David is saying, man, look around at this world, and the world is just screaming, this creation is just screaming that God is good. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. What's he mean? He says every day 
There's this message being shouted from the mountains and from the prairies and from the oceans, white with foam, right? Every day, there's this message that creation is just shouting out, saying, God is good. Verse 3. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. Which, look at the way he describes the sun. The sun comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Now, we, we're really smart, and we say, well, these people back in the old days, they were dumb, and they didn't know that the earth revolves around the sun, and the sun, missing the point, okay? We still to this day say, what time is the sun coming up in the morning, okay? We know the earth revolves around the sun, but this is human language. And the way the psalm is expressing, um, is expressing in poetic language is that like the sun is like this strong man that comes out of his tomb and he runs his course with joy around this earth and shines and fills the earth with heat and radiance and the psalmist is just praising God for this incredible spectacle that we take for granted every single day. And then he shifts gears from the word book to the world book, the world book to the word book. He says the law of the Lord is perfect. There's going to be six different adjectives and nouns and verbs used to describe God's word. And these all parallel one another. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. He says that the the, the function of God's word is that it revives your soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, it's reliable, trustworthy, making wise the simple. You ever feel like you're simple? Like you're Forrest Gump and I'm not a very smart man, right? And he says, if you want to be made wise, God's word is what does that. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Just think about that phrase. The fear of the Lord is clean. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even more than fine gold, sweeter than honey dripping off the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. David says, I get warned when I read your word, God. David didn't always listen to that warning, just like we don't always listen to that warning, but that's one of the great functions of God's word is it warns us danger, danger, danger. He closes out by saying, who can discern his errors? That's a great way of saying, who knows when they're wrong? Who knows when they're wrong? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. He says, I want to be innocent before you. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather be innocent or right? David's heart is, I want to be innocent. Keep back your servant. Also, hold me back from presumptuous sins. What David is talking about here, presumptuous sins, is he's not talking about like, oh, I forgot to stop and get that bag of bread I said I would get at the grocery store. He's not saying, oh, I forgot to fill up my tank with gas. He's talking about that thing you do. He's not talking about a mistake. He's talking about that thing you do that you know is wrong. You ever have something like that where you know it's wrong, but you just want to do it anyway? Look at me like you don't know. What? No. That thing that you know in your bones is wrong. But I want to do it anyway. Surely God will forgive me, right? And David's saying, God, hold me back from that. 
keep me back from presumptuous sins. Don't let them have dominion over me. Don't let sin rule over me. Then I'll be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And then finally, this is kind of a summary of the whole psalm. And this is a great prayer that I pray that you walk out of here with, that we walk out of here and take with us. He says, let the meditations of my mouth, of of my heart, and, and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David's saying, let what I say... And let what I think about be acceptable and pleasing and good to you. How would um, your home be transformed if you were praying daily, let the words of my, heart, of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you? How would your workplace be transformed? How would social media, if, if you said, let the clickety-clack of my keyboard be pleasing to you, and it starts with you. It doesn't start with everybody else. It starts with each of us praying this, God, let my heart, what I think about and what I say, be pleasing to you. So I want to talk about the importance of the Psalms for a second. The Psalms provide a path for us. The Psalms have been a path for God's people to pray and worship God for thousands, literally thousands of years. So if you're ever wanting to, like if you're ever out on like a farm or a ranch or you're trying to like find a good place to put a road, a good place to put a road is where like the hogs and the cows and the deer already have put a road. And you just kind of follow along behind them. They've usually already picked the best spot. And you just kind of follow behind them and you just kind of make a bigger path where they've already worn out a path. And when we approach the Psalms, what we're doing is we're finding a path that thousands of years worth of believers have already worn out for us. And we don't have to recreate the wheel. We don't have to like come up with our own language. They're already giving us language here. If you want to know what Jesus would sing, like what songs would Jesus just like rock out to, read the Psalms. Uh, from the, like in the most painful moment of Jesus' life, physically, spiritually, emotionally, all of it, as he's hanging from the cross, he cries out from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you poke Jesus, the Psalms come spilling out of him because this is what he worshiped and what he sang and, and what he prayed. And so the Psalms provide a reliable guide and a reliable path for us to read. So if you don't do anything else other than just, if you just commit and daily read the Psalms, that's going to improve your prayer life. That's going to cultivate a deeper prayer life in you. And, and what you find, a psalm in the morning, a psalm in the evening, uh, you'll find that you've worked your way through the whole 150 psalms pretty soon. You can start over at the beginning again. And you're going to pray as you read through the psalms, you're going to find every emotion, anger, sadness, rage. You're going to find it all. Depression, joy. And they provide a path and they provide a model for how to sing and how to worship. And just reading the psalms will transform a prayer life. This is the prayer book of God's people for thousands of years. And these, the, the Psalms are, are beneficial to us because these are prayers inspired by God, directed to God. And so like, if, if you want to ever know, like, how can I pray in a way that, that is going to definitely honor God, well, we can pray God's Word because God's Word is inspired by God. And so pray God's Word and let God's Word guide you in how you pray. So like, the way I think about it is like, have you ever been on an awkward date? We just had Valentine's Day, so I hope you had good Valentine's Day dates. But if you had a date... Uh, if you didn't have a date, you save money, no worries, right? But if, if you did go on a date, maybe it was awkward. Or maybe you can think back in a time when you went on a really awkward date. If you go on a date that's really awkward, like I remember one from, from college, um, 
I, it wasn't with Sonda, before Sonda, but, uh, you know, I wasn't in, 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 in high school, I really wasn't what you'd call like a ladies' man, you know, still, I don't think any time in my life anybody's ever called me that, um, but in college, you know, I got there, and, and there was kind of this new experience of there, was, there were some girls that were taking an interest in me, and I didn't really know what to do with that, you know, and, and there was a, a, a sweet young lady that, uh, that I went out on a date with, first date, only date, and it was just super awkward. Like, my mind was elsewhere. My thoughts were elsewhere. I didn't know what to talk about. We didn't know what to talk about together. We just kind of sat through this awkward, grueling dinner. And then we went and, like, rented Night at the Roxbury on VHS. You know, the guys that do this. And, and just, it was rough. And, and I was so, like, after it was over, I was like, that was bad, you know? And from then on, when I saw her on campus, I avoided eye contact because it was, I was so embarrassed. And I think that's kind of the way we do prayer. Like sometimes we, we feel awkward when we pray and we don't like to feel awkward. We, we, sometimes we pray and we, and we don't know what to say. And so we feel like, man, I'm a terrible Christian because I don't know how to pray. And, and I just had this really awkward moment with God. And so we kind of avoid God from then on. And then the more we avoid God, the more we avoid prayer, the more ashamed we feel. And so the more we avoid, and so on and so forth. But when we pray the Psalms, it's like going out on a date and having a romance guru, like with an ear, you know, an earpiece in your ear, whispering in your ear all the smooth things to say. It's like having Luther Vandross in your ear. And he's just like, yeah, girl, now, that, now you say this. And he's just laying down all these awesome things for you to say. And you have confidence because you've got somebody whispering these words in your ears that you can then whisper to your date and suddenly you don't feel as awkward anymore. I, don't know, I, I used Luther Vandross in the first service. I don't know if that's really an applicable, you know, romance expert, but whatever. Uh, fill in the blank. But when we read the Psalms, what we're doing is we're, we've got these words that God has already given us that we can take and it gives us something to say to God. And really, when we pray any of Scripture, we've got the words that are already inspired by God. And then we can offer those very words back to God. We can even offer them to God in our own words, and we have a path. And again, every emotion, every situation you're going to experience in life, you're going to encounter at some point in the Psalms. So let's talk about for a minute, how do we pray Scripture? Why should we pray scripture? We've kind of talked about it. It's inspired by God. It gives us a pattern. It gives us a path. How do we do it? Um, well, Daniel Henderson is an author that I appreciate a lot. He wrote a book called Transforming Prayer. He writes a lot about worship-based prayer. We've got a graphic here that he came up with. And, and he, this graphic is based on the Lord's Prayer. And, and, and this is kind of a, uh, uh, if you remember song leaders and band directors kind of making this kind of movement, this is a, based on a 4-4 rhythm. And he says that the Lord's Prayer begins by moving upward and showing reverence to God. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so when you're praying uh, in general, you can start out, this isn't a law, but it just gives you a pattern. You can start out by just thanking God, praising God, just talking to him about how good he is. And usually in any passage of scripture, you're going to find some kind of praiseworthy attribute of God. that You can say, God, thank you for this. And so you start with that upward movement. Of reverence. And then there's this downward movement of response. This kind of corresponds to the Lord's Prayer. 
Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God coming from heaven down to our level. And so, and so as, we, as, we, uh, as we pray a scripture, we can say, okay, this is how God, you're calling me to respond to you. This is how you're, you're one to, to work and move. Help me to obey you in this way. And then we move inward with our requests. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us of our sin. Um, God, as I read this scripture, I'm just reminded that I need fill in the blank. And then we move outward in um, readiness to meet the world. God, because your word says this, because your character is this, God, help me to move out in the world this way. So let's practice this with Psalm 19. All right? So as we read Psalm 19 earlier, we're going to read it again. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. So already, what praiseworthy attributes do we see about God here? What do we see about God that makes him good, that, can, that he can be worshipped about? He's a creator, right? Yeah, so like God, I just praise you, Father. I revere you, I honor you, Father, because you made this world. I honor you and I worship you, God. You, when I think about that, and so make it personal. Like, what's a place in this world that's really special to you? Maybe, maybe it's a view of that West Texas sunset with wind turbines in the, in, in the horizon, and it's just, wow. Maybe it's an old oak tree at your grandma's place. Maybe it's, maybe it's the Grand Canyon. Maybe it's uh, Lake Sweetwater. Maybe it's the Pacific Ocean. What is it that you can see and say, God, thank you for that? When I see this, I remember that you are good and you're strong. And then in a few verses down, he's going to say, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Man, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving me your word. Thank you that you haven't left me without a guide. You haven't left me as an orphan, but you've given me your word. And just pray through what he says about his word. So just take, take a minute and do that. As you think about God as creator, you think about God as the giver of his word. We just take a moment, eyes open, eyes closed, I don't care. Just say, God, thank you. Thank you for being my father. Tell him, thank you for your word. Thank you for creation. Thank you for the ways your creation points me to you. Thank you for that mesquite tree in the backyard. Thank you for the ocean. Thank you for the way the skies above proclaim your handiwork. Thank you for your word. And then response. How's God calling you? As, you? as you listen to Psalm 19, as you listen to the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies above proclaim his handiwork, as you, as you listen to the law of the Lord, verse 7, is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. How would God have you respond to that? I know for me, as I, as, as I read that, as I pray that, I know part of, part of what the passage calls to me is, Matt, will you trust God enough to read his word? Like, will you trust God enough to take the, the book that he's given you and just dive into it? Will you trust God enough to spend that time with him, knowing that everything else can wait? Will you obey God in this? What's it look like as, as, we, as we read this passage to surrender to God's will in your life? Verse 12, who can discern his errors? 
Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Is that a prayer you need to pray? God, will you hold me back? Like I've got this magnetic attraction to things that are not good for me. God, will you hold me back? Will you hold me back? Don't let me do something stupid today. Did you know that nobody that blew up their life yesterday got up that morning planning on blowing up their life? Nobody got up and said, you know, I think it would be a really good idea if I just blew up my life today. Nobody. But they didn't say, God, hold me back. There is a raging beast inside of me. Hold it back. Don't let me be ruled by sin. Don't let me be tricked by sin. Don't let me get punked by sin today. Hold me back. Don't let me be driven by my lust today. Some of us, maybe we think, ah, it's not an issue for me. Come on. Don't be presumptuous. Don't forget. You need God to protect you and guide you. How do you personally need to ask God for forgiveness? God, forgive me. I, 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 I heard you telling me not to gossip. I was, I, I was trying to share with somebody, and I knew I was oversharing. I knew I was spreading gossip, but I did it anyway, God. I was trying to couch it as a prayer request, but I knew it was wrong. God, will you forgive me? God, forgive me of the way I, I, you gave me, I got, I, my, the Bible app came up on my phone and, 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 and friends were calling me, but I ignored all of those distractions and I pursued pornography instead. Will you forgive me? God, you know, I, I, I had this, I didn't silence my phone, God, forgive me of that. <laughs> It's bad when the preacher didn't silence his phone. God, I, I had this opportunity to humble myself, but I chose to be right rather than be innocent, and I was proud. Will you forgive me? And then you just walk through, God, how do I need to forgive other people? Search my heart, know me. I mean, you could, you could spend the rest of this year in Psalm 19, and, and you would have plenty to pray for. And then, as we are ready to move out into the world, man, this prayer that Psalm 19 closes with, it kind of summarizes everything. And a lot of you being the creator and the giver of the, the word, God, will you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh, oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, as I, as I step out from your presence and into, the, into work or school or family, God, I pray that you will, will you help me think on what I need to think on today? Will you help me say what I need to say? Let the words in my mouth be acceptable to you. The meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you. And then back to reverence. I like to circle back to reverence and I like to ask myself, how does this passage point me to Jesus Christ? And part of the way this passage points me to Jesus Christ is that God didn't just send me a picture. He didn't just send us words, but he came to us in the flesh. The word of God became flesh. And he stepped into this world knowing exactly what we would do to him. And he came to us anyway, and he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He lived the perfect life. He died the atoning death. 
God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the offering, the atoning work of Jesus. Thank you that even though, God, the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth are a wreck so often, thank you that Jesus was tempted in every way that I'm tempted and he did not sin. He never sinned in word or deed. His word was true. His attitude was true. The meditations of his heart and the words of his mouth were unfailingly faithful and good and true. So God, as I, as I compare my life to Jesus, I see my need. I see my need for the cross. I see my need for the resurrection. And I don't know about you, but as I pray this way, um, I mean, just, just a few minutes ago, just earlier today, I was a, just a ball of nerves and a ball of anxiety. And yet as I go to God's word and I, and I pray it, and I trust him, I find anxiety dissipate and trust begin to take its place. An hour from now, I'm going to need to do that again. And tomorrow, I'm going to need to do that again. But there's something powerful about praying through these well-worn paths. So my prayer for you is that you'll take what we did here today, and you can take any passage of Scripture, and you can walk through that upward movement, that downward movement, that inward movement, and that outward movement. What's this passage say about God? What's this passage say about me? How does this passage speak to my need today? How does this passage prepare me to step out into a world that has needs? So the band's gonna come up, and as we, as we close out here, I ask you to, to focus in on that last verse of the words in my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you.